Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. Oh my god, I almost forgot. Sorry, I'm just jumping in here at the beginning because I completely forgot the whole reason for putting this episode out today was in preparation for the first international Ugly Animal Day. It is September 8th, 2022. Um, You can use the hashtag Ugly Animal Day to go ahead and follow all of these horrific beauties in the wild. (laughs) And if you do participate in hashtag Ugly Animal Day, tag me at Bewilderbeast because I want to see all these little ugly beasties too. I'm going to be sharing some of mine that day as well. You'll be seeing some like really cool ugly animals throughout the day on social media. If you have a favorite ugly animal, do let me know or let Simon Watt know. He's available, I think, on social. You can find him. Just a quick Google, but check him out. His podcast, Level Up Human. Um, And he's got science shows and workshops for schools and events. You can find all of his stuff on UglyAnimalSoc.com. Sorry about that. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Bewilderbeasts. I'm your host, Melissa McKee McGrath, recording 2,676.9 miles from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, where I have one listener. <laughs> I was very excited to discover this because my favorite musical artist, aside from the one living in my house, obviously, is from that area. So maybe Josh is listening. Josh Ritter, hey, want to be best friends? All right, don't make it weird, McGrath. We are only one week into season four, where we are talking about an unusual preservation society who is coming after all you panda lovers. All right, let's go. Hello, and welcome to season four of Bewilderbeasts. I'm coming in at the top to say that I, and I hope you had the same, had an excellent summer. Kiddo went to the championship game for division softball and ended up starting in some of those championship games, which was pretty cool. Not too bad for a kid who had never sportsballed in her life in any capacity. So we're incredibly proud of her and her team. Um, And I also got to go to Scotland and to London for 12 days. Many of the upcoming episodes here and in the Patreon feed are going to have a focus in these regions of the world. Um, I came across a lot of really cool animals and stories tied to lore and history and science and humanity. And some of them uh, included the Raven Master, who lives at the Tower of London, uh, which is coming down the pike in the regular feed here pretty soon. And of course, Greyfriars Bobby, who we talked about um, in season one, this was the dog that laid on the grave of his owner for 14 years after his owner died. Um, You might remember that episode. It was um, all the animals 
intersecting with death at humanity. That was a fun episode to do. Eh, Even though it was about death, it was all really interesting. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, you just heard about the time that Belgium used cats to deliver the mail. It was a short-lived experiment for all the reasons that you would expect. (laughs) But there was also a story in that episode about the heftiest mega chunky boy cat who worked in a London post office basement for 14 years. So if you ever get a chance to go, definitely go to Edinburgh, spelled Edinburgh, pronounced Edinburgh, like the thing half the population has to take off as soon as we get back home from work. And I'll put some pictures up on Twitter and on Instagram. But in today's episode, we will be discussing something else that I learned about in Edinburgh and something that my kiddo suggested I go see while I was in town. As I was there for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, it's a month-long arts festival with comedy, drama, theater, music, R-rated circus acts, which highly recommend everything you can imagine, like just out there for the people to see. There was one show (laughs) among all of these when I was flipping through a list of the thousands of shows that were being presented that I wanted to see, that I knew I had to see. It was Simon Watts' show called The Ugly Animal Preservation Society. And now you know why we're here today. So I ended up going to his show on my daughter's recommendation. And when I was sitting in the audience, he opened it by saying, this is a science show at an arts festival. So I'm guessing all of you guys are here because you thought the likelihood of people being vaccinated and believing in science was higher. It was such a small room, but we all had such a lovely time. We laughed, no one to my knowledge got COVID, and we learned a lot. And that's 100% why we are here, right? So without further ado, and with a little help from Polar Swearing Parrot Friend, God, I've missed that guy. I am going to introduce you to Simon Watt, his mission, and what you can do today to help those animals who are not as photogenic as those pandas. Are you ready for the transition music? You've missed it, right? MK2, hit it. Simon Watt has had it up to here with pandas. In the introduction of his book titled The Ugly Animals, We Can't All Be Pandas, great title by the way, Simon says, quote, The panda made me do it. Pandas are wonderful creatures. Charities have rallied for its aid and it has become a national symbol of China. A large part of its success has come from its evolutionary good fortune to happen to look like a teddy. The majority of endangered species are not so lucky. We should not pick and choose what survives based solely on our shallow sense of aesthetics. The problems facing our planet are much bigger than that. End quote. He goes on to say, rightfully, that there are other endangered animals who are also super cute, like tigers and lions, the snow leopard, polar bear, and gorilla, and that they may very well die in our lifetime. That sucks but they are cute and they get a ton of attention and they get nature shows with Dame Helen Mirren narrating, which I mean, goals, man, goals, right? And there are the ugly animals who are not endangered. And ugly isn't just aesthetics, right? You have heard me go on and on and on in several episodes of this show about pigeons, (laughs) often rudely called rats with wings. They are considered to be dirty and gross and irritating in urban centers all over the world. 
but no one stops to think about their ability to accurately detect breast cancer on mammograms or the time that they befriended Nikola Tesla through his genius and madness. And the fact that they befriend the people abused by the diamond industry on the diamond coast of Africa, or that they know how to back up their queen and set fire to an entire city of her enemies. Okay, well, the last one might not actually be true per se, but actually they went on to inspire the most unhinged narcissist in fiction, Cersei Lannister of the Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire books and HBO series. Pigeons, however, as awesome as they are, and as much respect as they deserve, are uber survivors and not exactly endangered, so they do not count either. So in Simon's book and in his stand-up, Comedy with a Conservation Twist, Simon focuses on those that are both ugly and endangered. You know, we all have our own parameters of what's ugly, right? I want you to think about your favorite ugly and endangered animal while I present the top contender from his book. And maybe we're on the same page, and maybe this will help you, inspire you to really rally for those woe uglies, all right? So we have actually discussed some of Simon's top contenders in this show over the last years. The condor is a big one, as is the wrasse. Both of these animals were covered in the sex-swapping episode of season three. Lots of turtles and frogs have made the cut, but not like the cute little cuddly frogs that we covered, the cute story about the frog rescue and service episode. These ones are the things of nightmares, including mamas who have babies that are born from her mouth, which I would actually argue some of us might actually prefer to vomit our babies into the world instead of the alternative, which is quite rough to consider. And go through. And another frog's babies are laid into the mom's back and they hatch out like the famous scene from that horror movie Alien. <laughs> but hundreds of babies erupting from her back. Ah, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Nature, just make better choices. So let's shallow dive into the winner and face of the Ugly Animals Preservation Society and discuss a creature that not even a glamour shot from the 80s or a Photoshop of today could help. It's the species on the book's cover, the blobfish. Now, many of you have actually probably seen a blobfish. A quick bit of Google foo will show you the photo that graces the cover of Simon's book. And the book my kiddo loved is a weird younger lass. Quote, pink is for blobfish. This photo is iconic. It is a pinkish cranberry mold that went terribly wrong. The blobfish, aptly named if you've only seen this photo, and I'm sure you have, for its frown for days, which who wouldn't like this if you were named the blobfish by scientists? As you are scrolling through the results of your Google flu, you may also come across an adult onesie zip up for pajamas of a blobfish. Thank goodness it has not crossed over into sexy blobfish Halloween costume territory yet, but the year is young. A Christmas ornament, which I think we should all get for our families this year. A little Santa surprise, if you will. He's putting the gifts under the tree and he looks up and he's like, oh, whoa, ugly. And then he drops all the gifts and you know what? I'm not seeing any downsides here. You're welcome. Ooh, the blobfish slippers look like you put Kirby through the wash and dried him on high heat on accident. And they look actually kind of plushy and warm and, well, cute, ugly, maybe. Oh, dang it, they're out of stock. There are also a whole lot of comparison side-by-side -side photos of a blobfish next to Senator Ted Cruz, which I'd actually be okay with, but something so ugly next to the 
blobfish. It's just too much. Wink. But here's the thing with blobbies. That photo, that iconic photo, does a disservice to this whole species. In the way that pandas are cute and get all the attention for the wrong reasons, this guy appears to be soups ugly and gets all the attention also for the wrong reasons. If you were to actually see one of these mucus snot nuggets come to life in their actual natural environment at the bottom of the sea, in the depths of the ocean that still remains very unstudied, they would not look like a racist uncle at Thanksgiving who melted like a votive candle. They would instead look like a normal fish. A fish that has bones and structure and maybe joy? So what happens with these guys? Why do they look like this? Well, let's start with where they live. They live off the coast of Australia and Tasmania and often get caught in fisher folks' nets. And when they're brought up from the deep, deep depths of the sea, the significant pressure change kills them and turns them into a blob. See also old tiny diving bells with deep sea divers before we knew that pressure, if not treated carefully, could do terribly gross and gelatinous things to a human body. <laughs> because the pressure at 600 to 1200 meters below the top of the ocean is much higher. So when they are brought up in a net, their fatty substance, which is actually used in place of a swim bladder because the swim bladder that is used in higher sea elevation fish would explode at the pressures at the bottom of the ocean. So that fat, that substance that makes them buoyant and able to survive at these depths kind of explodes when it goes in the other direction. Well, not really explodes, but it definitely deforms greatly. You've seen the photo. <laughs> And this is all due to the rapid pressure change. And as a result, the only real photos that we have, or the ones that circulate because, whoa, ugly, look at this gross old man fish, gets a lot of hits on social media. Then compared to, hey, look at this perfectly normal fish that is not made of bones, but instead gelatinous goo, but he looks totally normal. In fact, if our bodies were sustaining the pressure that these fish live day in and day out, our organs, and I would also imagine everything else, would crush under the weight and the pressure of the sea. <laughs> we do not stand a chance. And as it turns out, the rapid pressure change for them when they are brought up in fishing nets kills these fish and deforms their gelatinous gooey bodies. So as a result, the only specimens we have of them, they are already dead deformed shells of the fish that exist, that are alive, that are actually fish-shaped at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> that same pressure that would do a straight-up murder on our bodies actually provides a structure and support of sorts to the blobfish in a way that bones do for us up here. Nature is wild, yo. So this magnificent gooey sea beast is the winner eh, of the Ugly Animal Preservation Society poll and is the official ugliest endangered animal who should be the anti-face of the anti-panda movement. So how did this happen? Well, according to Wikipedia, super reliable source, in September 2012, the Ugly Animal Preservation Society teamed up with the National Science and Engineering Competition. And this was to create 
online educational resources, right? And some of these resources included election-style videos that people across the globe could vote on to see who should become the overall mascot for this Ugly Animal Preservation Society mascot. We all love a good mascot, we all love a good poll, and the internet has spoken. This campaign got international press coverage, and it got even more legs, I guess, if the animal that you're voting on actually has legs. It got more legs because of Twitter. Major celebrities like Stephen Fry and Simon Pegg started tweeting about this particular poll. Votes were eventually counted and monitored by the number of likes on each of the election videos. According to the BBC, the society began as a science-themed comedy night and devised its mascot campaign to draw attention to the aesthetically challenged threatened species. The winner was announced at the British Science Festival. This is Europe's longest-running science festival, and it's held in a different place every single year. So when they brought highbrow science with some conservation and lowbrow humor to Newcastle, they got to say words like scrotum frog and pubic lice. Both of which, by the way, lost to the blobfish. <laughs> and it wasn't even close. Blobfish won by over 10,000 votes. That is similar to the amount of votes that David Attenborough got as the second place name in the Bodie McBoatface kerfuffle. And for those playing the home game, Bodie McBoatface got 124,109 votes compared compared to the David Attenborough's 11,000. Still winning anything by over 10,000 votes is a spectacular feat. That is the entire population of Sedona, Arizona. So well done, Blobby. Yay! So since we're here, we should also uh, maybe learn a little bit more about these gooey little buggers, right? Okay, so they can grow up to, and this is gross, 20 pounds. <laughs> that is the weight of an ATV tire, 13 baseball bats, or 50 hamsters. That's a pretty substantially sized fish. Can you imagine a guppy weighing as much as an ATV tire? Or any tire? The blobfish's top speed is an impressive and speedy five miles an hour. <laughs> five miles an hour, and most of that is just using their fatty gooeyness to just kind of bob along in the water, swallowing bacteria for dinner, as well as some shellfish, which they can only grab as the water pushes them around their mouths open like they're in a constant state of surprise, swallowing whatever they can grab. And they are related to fatheads and fathead sculpins. I mean, rude scientist naming guy, so rude. There's no reason to body shame the fathead sculpin. So the first captured blobfish is still able to be seen in Australia's museum bobbing around for all of eternity in 70% ethanol alcohol, which apparently shrunk his substantial schnoz. And according to Mental Floss, he's not as cute as he used to be. Again, rude. Here we are, silly humans, putting our lens about what's a cute little gelatinous blobby goo and making other gelatinous sentient blobby goo fish feel bad about themselves because of their noses. They're deceased noses, didn't age, quote, correctly in a body preserver after death. Humans, we are the worst. I love you, dead blobfish, nose and all, just the way you are, or were. 
And if you feel the same way, and even if you don't, it's okay. Simon is not paying me for this. In fact, I probably really weirded him out at the Fringe Fest as I was very sleep deprived and I came on a bit strong. Shocking. I know. But I just get so excited about other people who are advocating for the little guys, the little gross blobby guys. And if you can find any of his interviews or his podcasts, um, there was one that I found called Level Up Human. It's a fun panel show, one with scientists. I binged a few episodes on the way home last month on the plane, and it has a bit more of an adult joke tone, but I'm sure many of you would absolutely appreciate it. And truthfully, it was my child who told me to go see his show, and she's 10. So thanks, kiddo. I would also like to say, though, that when I did mention to him that it was a kid who told me to go, he questioned my parenting, <laughs> like, as he should. And Simon, despite me coming off as an excited golden retriever, hungry for any attention from someone who talks nerdy about animals, kindly signed a copy of his book for my kid, which she adores. So Simon, if you ever hear this, thank you for all you do for animals, all animals, except the <laughs> panda, and all y'all, go check out Simon Watts' stuff, including his book, The Ugly Animals, We Can't All Be Pandas. So thank you for joining me today on Bewilderbees, the first episode of season four. Y'all, it's so good to be back. I do have some news, though. I told Ace that this may be the last season. I do love doing this show, but I feel like while I'm not exactly running out of stories, that the stories I'm telling may start to overlap themes. And then she promptly yelled at me and told me to carry on. So we will see where this goes. I will continue. If I can keep writing fun scripts while working and figuring out new projects, I will 100% keep going. I love this show. But don't worry, the show will exist no matter what in some form for a while. It's not going anywhere. All of the shows will continue to exist somewhere, and I'll keep going as long as I'm having fun, and as long as you are too. I could use this as a ploy to get attention and accolades from you all, but I'm not. <laughs> That's not what this is. I just want to put it out there just in the event that I do end up closing the show this year, and if I do, at least you guys have a little bit of a heads up. But between now and December break, we have a lot of shows to actually get through, and we will cross the maybe finish line bridge when we get there, whenever that may be. Until then, y'all, I'm Melissa McKee McGrath with Mud Stuff Media. Now go get curious. I got today's information from Wikipedia on the Ugly Animal Preservation Society. The book by Simon Watt, The Ugly Animals We Can't All Be Pandas. Go get it as a gift right now for your favorite little nature nerd or just to put on your shelf or buy a copy for your local library so other kids can see it too. The British Science Association.org, BBC.com, the web or the webarchive.org, so that way I could look up an article by the Telegraph on the Battle of the Mingers, why ugly animals should be wildlife pinups. Guys, these were I can't believe that the BBC and the Telegraph were doing real stories on this that I could use as reputable sources for today's show blogfishcafe.com, which actually doesn't exist. And YouTube has a great little video and a song uh, inspired by the incredible true story of the blobfish. You should go listen to it. It's a it's a song using a two-bass, which is a song I had never heard, uh, an instrument I'd never heard of before, and a contrabass dueling like 
slow, deep, unstringed banjos, mental floss, now we're talking, and of course the intro and outro music. You know who it is, it's Tiptoe Out the Back by Dan Leibowitz. Interstitial music, that's MK2. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and maybe sneak your friend's podcast app and uh, maybe go ahead and subscribe there too. I'd really appreciate it. And again, as always, if there's a show that you like, it doesn't have to be this one. The best thing you can do is just tell a friend or all of your friends if you happen to be on social media. I'm Melissa McHugh McGrath, and I will see you all next week. Bye-bye. The first International Ugly Animal Day. It is September 8th, 2022. You can use the hashtag Ugly Animal Day. Happy Ugly Animals Day! You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.